Alistair is a television personality and content creator at Why China. He's worked with names like Tessa Thompson, Ryan Reynolds, Chris Hemsworth, and Tom Holland. Hey, dude! Thanks for joining me today. Hi. Long time no see. <laughs> Very long time no see. I have been wanting to have you on the show for a long time. Even before we even launched, I, I talked to you about bringing you on the show because not only are you a good friend of mine, but you have an incredibly unique story when it comes to being an expat. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's not really... What's it called? It's not really something I have... Like, it's not something I face every day. And I'm like, this is what I'm going to do to make things more unique. But I'm glad that it is a source of interesting content. <laughs> it is. It's, it's infinitely fascinating to me. I, and I feel like... Because we've been friends for at least four years. Three, four years now, I want to say, right? Yeah, I think we're coming on four. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we, we worked together for a very long time, but still, like, uh, just because of the nature of our lives, our industry, there's still so much that I don't know about you. And sometimes we'll get to talking and I'll be like, oh, wait, you lived in Japan? What? <laughs> like, <I'm- laughs> yeah, and there's like a lot of stuff as well, because there's stuff that, you know, like occasionally you go through the spiel with people about, you know, like I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, and you go through your whole backstory. But then, like, there's other people that you might meet. Like you either meet them when you already know other people. And so you've talked to the other people about this already. So you assume that the person knows and stuff like that. So there's all sorts of different relationships where you assume you've already done the full introduction, but you haven't actually. Happens all the time. And it's like, you're like, wait, what? Like, how do I not know this central part of information about you? (laughs) Yeah, I remember when I I found out that you speak Japanese, I was like, oh, I I feel like I would have known that. (laughs) For, yeah. for the people at home, let's go ahead and because uh, a lot of, if you can't tell, this is a, you know an English-based podcast. And so mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners um, probably don't know much about our background um, mm-hmm. and how we met. Uh, you said long time no see. Um, when was the last time we saw each other? Oh, my goodness. Egypt. I think it would have been in Egypt. So that was in... What, three and a bit months ago? Yeah, just about. Um, it was in Egypt and we were there for Muhammad's wedding. That's right. A very fun time. Mm-hmm. Was, um, what's it called? No, that was really good. I still really like. I really want to go back because it was um, really fun. And I'm, I'm glad that we left some things behind, some things in Egypt undone so that we can still go back and there's a, like a reason to go back and, and keep adventuring. But that's fun. Oh, definitely. And but, Egypt yeah. is, a, is a place much like China. You can be there for, you know, 20, 30 years and you'll, you'll still never see everything. Yeah, just scratch the surface, I feel. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's like, it's very interesting. And I think that's why you sort of keep, you keep coming back to these kinds of places, I think. Because like, because yeah, we were getting into the background spiel. So we might as well get right into it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but what's it called? Like, I mean, yeah, so I was, I was born in Japan. And then I lived there with my parents until I was seven. Um, and then when that happened, 2000 rolled around. And then um, my dad got a job with General Motors in Shanghai. And then so that's when we moved to Shanghai and then and started spending time there. And so like, all of this kind of stuff is very just like, 
what's the word? Like, it's not something that I actively sought out to do. And it's not something that I went to my parents and I was like, hey, I want to live in China. It just kind of happened. Um, and then, you know, we end up, we, we end up in China and we're here and we're living and everything like that. Then another seven years roll by and, uh, mum by all of mum and then mum and dad by then had lived overseas for 20 years. So they were, mum was like, you know, it's about time. I want to get back to like get back to Australia. I want to get back to what is going on. Um, and so then that's when we moved to Australia and yeah. So then once I was in Australia, it was just always like, what do I do now? Because I've got this, I've got Chinese, I've got Japanese that I've been studying for ages. And then if I'm just in Australia, I feel like just using, like, I mean, it's very difficult to use them as regularly as you would in China for obvious reasons. Um, so like there's there's all of that sort of background. So then because of that, you just kind of keep finding reasons to come to come back. And so when my first year of school in Australia was year nine and at my school we had a like a study abroad trip that came back to China for five weeks. So that was that was perfect. It was like I was in Australia for nine months and I got to come back and like get my <laughs> dose in China. Um, and then uh yeah, so then after like after high school I did a year of uh, like I did, I did a year of my degree in China, and then after I finished my degree, I worked in China. Then flew off to Canada for a working holiday for a bit, and then mm-hmm. now here we are in Beijing. Yeah, and yeah. you know, you you sort of you glazed over this incredibly, incredibly interesting part. You said that you went back and you you worked in China for a bit. Mm-hmm. This actually ties into why we were in Egypt, why we were at Mohammed's wedding. What were you doing in China? What were you working as? Well, originally, so how we first met was through that TV show that we filmed together. So mm-hmm. it's like a talk show with all the international, um, like people from various different countries, and we sit around the table and just talk about various things. Mm-hmm. There's just no real catch-all way to say what the show does because it is just such an odd show, but it's so much fun. Yeah. It's not um, quite it's not quite pop culture. It's I mean, a lot of it is quite light and fluffy. Like uh for listeners at home, there have been a few episodes where like we discuss things as as trivial as games that you play when you're a kid in middle school, like hacky sack, and then we get into sometimes really deep things about like what is beauty, what is colorism, what is this, that, and the other thing. And you know, people cry, people laugh on the show. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting platform, and I think I think it's really good that we do do all the sort of we do the trivial sort of more daily aspects of of life, but then you also deal with the big questions that you do get you do sort of get slapped in the face with every now and again. And I think it's I think it's a really important show because it's allowing the youth of China that interacts with our show. It's allowing them to have sort of a journey and a place that they can consider where or how their like thought processes are, are shaped and how they are, are brought about. And like, I mean, at the end, they could very much well end up being like, oh, well, yeah, I, I believe even more now what I thought. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. I think the idea is just that you have to actually have that questioning thing first to be like, is this right? Mm-hmm. And then if the end result is, yeah, I'm right, then awesome. If your end result is not, nah, that's ridiculous. Then it's also just like, okay, cool. Like, <clears throat> it's just the process itself that's 
that's important. Yeah. You had, you had something that really sparked very good debate online. You had a rant that went viral. where um, So in China, a lot of people, they believe that it's nice when you look at someone you haven't seen them in a while and you're like, wow, you've gotten fat or wow, you've lost mm-hmm. so much weight. And they say it's because they're concerned about your health. But in reality, it's, it's not quite that. I feel like it's actually, it's something that's present in Western culture as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think sort of, the sort of reasons about it coming around are very different. Um, because I am a Western person. <laughs> I'm from like a very, like a very privileged background, all this kind of stuff. And then it's just kind of like, so I've been exposed to a lot of discourse on things like, you know, like fat shaming or fat phobia and all of this kind of stuff. And so like granted, a lot of my opinions are shaped by the Western discourse around the subject. But then again, by the same token, because I, I remember after, because I've talked about this a couple of times, whether it be on my own personal uh, channel or if it's um, on the show itself. Um, all of these things I I have talked about, and every time someone's like, like every time I say, you know, like this is what the emotional like result of hearing this for a prolonged period of time is, and someone turns around and they're like, oh yeah, but like they're not coming, they're not saying it from a bad like place, you know, they're not saying mm-hmm. it to put you down or whatever. And like, that may well be the case, but then it's just kind of like, I've already told you what the result of hearing this is. Like, don't debate with me as to whether or not their intentions are good. Just understand and accept the fact that the end result is not what you wanted it to be. And then Mm -hmm. think about maybe how you can adjust the ways in which you say the things you say or the things that you value and notice about a person Mm -hmm. instead. Because I mean, yeah, I feel like when you see someone for after a long time, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can, that you can go about sort of verbalizing the fact that you haven't seen them in a while kind of thing. Absolutely. "Hmm." And you know, it goes back to the the old adage of like, if you're on the subway and you step on someone's foot, it doesn't matter if you did it on purpose or if you did it accidentally, their foot still hurts. And in saying, you know, it's it sort of in a way puts the impetus on you and how you as the victim in this situation. Uh, it's a bit of a harsh word, but the receiver of this criticism, it's more about your emotional reaction to it. Mm, it puts the impetus uh, on you. A hundred percent, and I think it's. I, I mean, I, I think there is. I, I feel, and like I, I remember, I said this at the time. Like I feel they do have a point in in a, in to an extent, mm-hmm. saying that you know you're a public figure, like you're going to be exposed to this kind of this kind of commentary anyway. Mm-hmm. Like you need to tell up, and I, and, and I think that's fair. I do agree that as someone who is in the public eye, a lot more stuff that you do comes under scrutiny, um, and it can be something as stupid as wearing a t-shirt that's one size too small, and yeah what's called undulating frame is a little bit more on display than it is at other times. Or like, I mean, you know, so it can be something as trivial as that, or it can be something like, you know, Hey, you actually said this thing in something somewhere and it's actually not really completely appropriate. Like Mm -hmm. this instead, like, I mean, you have to be willing to accept criticism from everywhere, but I think the point of me saying it is not to, instantly stop receiving those kind of comments because that's not possible and it's never mm. going to happen. It'll never happen. No. And I think the more, the more mm, direct, the, the reason why I felt like that all had to be said and the reason why I did say it was because once again, coming back to that thing about 
sort of challenging perceptions and challenging the ingrown ways of thinking that we have and just assuming that, you know, this is the way it's always been done, therefore it's correct. Or, you know, like, <clears throat> this is, I didn't mean it in that way, so you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, those kind of thought processes, I feel like they're valid, they exist, but that doesn't mean that they're the best way to deal with a situation. And if at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is, you know, communicate with people in a more productive, positive manner, which I think is something that we should all aspire to, Mm -hmm. then you do need to consider the impacts of your actions and your words and think about how you can phrase these things or why you even find it necessary to say these things um, in those those circumstances. A lot of Chinese folk, their sort of defense of the situation is, oh, like I'm I'm concerned about your health. I'm worried about, I'm worried about you as a person. But it's Mm -hmm. really like, it's rarely your very, very close friends who say something like, and uh, who say something like this. And also, as you said, you know, there are other ways to address it. Like, for example, if you see that someone is putting on an extreme amount of weight, then it's like, hey, have you been to the doctor? Is everything okay? I noticed there's a lot of things going on. Or I noticed you haven't washed your hair in a couple of days. Are, are you all right? Do you need to, do you need to talk? Is everything okay? Yeah, um, like I mean, a general, a general, like, how are you? Yeah, I check like, it. that's that's a great way to put it as well. How are you? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, how about instead of assuming what the end result yeah. is, just being like, how are you? And then someone goes, someone turns around, and they're like, hey, because like I mean, in because there's all sorts of different things, right? So like recently, something there's been like. I don't know why, but there's been a bunch of rumors going around about me being in a relationship. I'm not, but like, there's been a bunch of rumors going around. So then people are saying like, you know, it's like like happiness fat. And I'm like, like, that's, that's actually a really cute, like phrase. And it's something that's like, I think it's like a really, like, it's like a sort of warm, fuzzy, a fuzzy sort of feeling. You're just kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, this person's like really happy in, in their life and everything like that. So you can tell that it's something that is a good phrase but it still stings and it's just kind of like it's just kind of like why can't you just be like how are you or like things look like they're going well for you right now or Mm -hmm. like stuff like that like there's just so many other ways to say this kind of thing i just but yeah i'm just kind of the thing that's always frustrated me is that i don't understand that like i can't i can't put together the thought process behind getting to that point where i feel like i have to say that sentence at that certain time Mm -hmm. because it's like even when um, cause like I try, I do, I try and think about myself as a consumer of social media and a consumer of like, you know, like entertainment media, thinking about that kind of stuff. And I can honestly say that I've never once had the intention to comment on someone's photo and be like, Hey, you're fat. <laughs> or like, wow, look at that stomach. Because previously, like I tried so many different ways to, to deal with these kinds of comments. Like the first the first way that I tried was that I would like snap back and I'd be like, um, what's it called? Like I posted a, co- I posted oh, a photo. You, you'd feed the trolls. You don't feed the I, trolls. Honestly. I know. So I'd, I'd snap back and I'd feel like I shut them down. And then that then encouraged people because it would be like, oh my God, if I do this, Alistair can respond to my comment. So then it ended up being more people coming to mm-hmm. me like that. I was just like, all right, this isn't helping. Yeah. Then after that, that was when I then um, I wrote an article and I posted it on my uh, Weibo, um, just with regards to that. Especially because at that time I had, I had had some issue. Like I broke my leg, and then mm-hmm. like I was stuck at home for three months. And I'm not the kind of person who can go to the gym while my leg is 
I, I feel there are a lot of people in the world who can't go to the gym when their when their leg is broken. I know. I know. Like I feel. I feel like that's a relatable hashtag relatable type. Um, what well, it is very relatable. I mean, like when I I broke my arm and I put on a bunch of weight. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you can you tell people online because it, it, it's funny. You know, a lot of people they say, "Oh, well, you've gained weight," but then when you hear the reason why a person's gained weight, then they all of a sudden feel bad. Like yeah. from pointing it out, it's like, oh yeah, well, I gained a bunch of weight because I broke my arm and I got super depressed because I couldn't leave my house for a while. And then they're yeah. like, oh, and then all of a sudden they get uncomfortable and you're like, oh, but it's okay. I'm fine now. And then, yeah. And then you have <laughs> to bring the situation back. And it's just like, honestly, this could have all been avoided if you yeah. just didn't say <laughs> Yeah. But- um, a friend of mine, uh, they're... Uh, a friend of mine went through chemotherapy, right? And yeah. uh, when you when you go through chemo, like sometimes your metabolism just stops, but usually your yeah. hair falls out, right? Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. so this person, their hair definitely fell out. Um, mm-hmm. They recovered and they're fine now, but when their hair came back, it never came back the same. And so mm-hmm. they were um, they were out and about, and they hear from people all the time. They're like, "Oh wow, your hairline's really bad." And then their response is like, "Oh yeah, well, you know, cancer will do that." And then they get stuck. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you want to say stuff. Well, I'm going to say it right back at you. Absolutely. <laughs> but then, I, yeah. I think that's something. I think that's something that does help to an extent because it's just like it's showing. It's like the shock factor. It's telling people, hey, there are reasons other than me binge eating like French fries all night. Mm-hmm. And like, if that's what you want to do all night, then power to you. Like no one cares. Like, just Mm -hmm. do what makes you happy. But yeah, I think that's just the reason people all... Like, there's just so much ingrained thought about what being fat or being overweight means Mm -hmm. and how that then is directly equated to being unhealthy and then all of this other emotional baggage that comes with that. Um, Yeah, there's just a lot of... There's just a lot of unchecked thought that's going on behind that. Um, and so then, yeah, that's why, like, I mean, after, after I posted the article and then we talked about it on the show, um, after that happened and like, so I'm not one for new year's resolutions normally, but this year I was like, this is what I'm going to do. So yeah, this, my thing at the moment is that I no longer respond to anything that in any way references my weight. So like, even if it's like, like even if it's something like you've lost weight, because I think that's still the same thinking, just being portrayed in a way that we think is easier to um, yeah. digest. So in terms of that, it's just kind of like that's not that's not sort of discourse that I want to engage with, and I it's not discourse that I want to have associated with myself and my brand. So in that case, it just kind of sits there and nothing happens to it. So. Because with with the video that went out, I don't know if we'll keep this in the podcast or not. But with the video that went out, um, something that was really cool was uh, you could definitely see the discourse and minds changing in the comments. People saying like, "Oh, you know, well, people don't mean it like this." Blah blah blah. Or people, especially because we are Westerners, we are foreigners. Chinese people tend to say, "Oh, well, that's just Chinese culture. Chinese people are like this." Mm-hmm. But I saw the majority of comments of young Chinese women saying, "Yeah." I am Chinese and I hate this. I absolutely yeah. hate this. Why is my value directly related to how much I weigh? Or exactly. not, not even how much you weigh, just how your undulating frame exists in society. Exactly. I mean, exactly. There's a line in a British like, sitcom that I absolutely love 
And it's just like something like, what are we supposed to do just because we have flesh that moves independently of our mainframe? And I think that's like such a, it's just such an apt description of what happens. It's like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just flesh. It's yeah. there. Like, because what would bother me about these sort of comments? Because I get them a lot too. It'd be the same photo, and people will say, "Oh, you're too skinny. Oh, you're too fat." And Mm -hmm. the the comments I would ever get whenever I was gaining weight, like when my first time I went to Egypt, I was like, "Yeah, I'm gaining weight because I'm eating a bunch. I'm in Egypt. Mm -hmm. I'm on vacation." But in reality, I wouldn't be like if you saw me on the street, no one would be like, "Oh, well, that's kind of a big guy," you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah. Because on social media, they expect you to be so stick thin. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing as well, because it's like every, every time I meet, uh, like I run into a fan or something on the street and it's like the same thing. Like one of the first things they say to me is, oh, you're not fat. And I'm like, cool, thanks. I never, <laughs> like that was never part of my brand. <laughs> it's never just being like, hi, I am fat Alistair. Um, <laughs> That was never. That was never anything that was on the table. Should be part of your brand. It should be. It's like it's like in Pitch Perfect, where she's like, "I call it. I call myself Fat Amy, so you stick bitches don't do it behind my back." Mm -hmm. Like it's the same thing. It's just like you know this this kind of stuff. They're like they. I'd like. I just yeah. It's just really odd when that happens. I'm like, and I don't know what to say because I don't. I refuse to say thank you. Because I feel like that's encouraging that kind of thing. So yeah. I'm just kind of like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. The one, I, the one I always get is like, wow, you're so much uglier in person. I get that all the time. Oh, no. No, all the time. <laughs> all the time. They're like, wow. One. Like, <laughs> like, they'll say stuff like that. I'll be like, you look so good in TV. And my usual response is like, you just look like, like this? Yeah. Like, oh. I'm like, yeah, no, I've been wearing makeup no. for like three hours before I go on TV, guys. <laughs> just, yeah, literally. I feel like they I feel like they think that we just kind of sit down. We roll out of bed and just sit down and film that. It's like, nah. There's mm-hmm. a lot of hair and makeup that goes into that. A lot but of hair and makeup. So much. God. Oh, man. So I think we definitely hit the body image talk a lot. And you you got... I have so much new vocabulary to um, implement my daily life. But you talked a lot about um, the difference between doing uh, mainstream media, I suppose we can call it that, and then developing your own content. So you are a content creator at YChina. Mm-hmm. And um, for the listeners at home who don't know... I don't know what rock you've been living under, but you should definitely go and check it out because you, my friend, have recently directed a viral video that has, yes. what, 11 million views now? I think we're on Weibo. It has that. I think total across platforms, we're almost up to 20. My joining the company I work for now was a very strange and interesting and just completely lucky process that it happened. Um, because, uh, what, well, I mean, yeah, I mentioned that I was on a working holiday in Canada and when that, when my visa expired for Canada, I was like, okay, I've got two choices of where to go. I either come to China and I work out what I want to do, or I go back to Australia and I was looking at studying, uh, studying law at grad school. And so I was going to, uh, sort of tracking down those two paths and then, um, what's it called? But then. Uh, because we were still filming the show at that time. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, well, if I go to Beijing, then I can at least 
I can at least film the show and that will make sure that I'm able to live. And then um, apart from that, I can just sort of spend the rest of my time like finding a job and like doing all of that kind of stuff. Um, so that's so that's what I did. I, I the, Because the alternative in Australia was living back with my parents on our farm and working in a small town in rural Australia. And I was just kind of like, I don't think that's really on message for me. <laughs> <laughs> Not on brand. Not on brand. <laughs> um, so yeah, when that happened, I decided to move to Beijing. And so I upped all of my stuff out of my apartment in Toronto and moved here. Um, it was actually today is a year from a year exactly from when I left Toronto. So there you go. It's only been a year. It's been a year on the dot is today. Wait, seriously? Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that you were you were in Toronto the exact time I was in Cairo. Yeah, yeah. Wow, about, I, no, I thought that was so yeah, much longer ago. I, th- I think I think it was so much longer ago just because like so much has happened since so then. That's right. Like a lot of life has happened. I mean. Mm. You're, and, yeah, you're sorry. I, 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 I stopped the flow of conversation because I was uh, oh, getting a little bit too reflective. <laughs> because I'm, <laughs> I am legitimately very, very proud of you and so much of the work that you've done. Oh, like, you, you do some very, very amazing things, man. Like, for example, interviewing, interviewing some very cool celebrities. Ryan Reynolds is also on this list. Yeah, so Ryan Reynolds and Tom Holland, I've been able to work with directly um, and have been behind the, ca- the camera while we've been working with them. Um, and then we've, yeah, recently had other things like, uh, yeah, Tessa Thompson, Chris Hemsworth, like those kinds of people. And that I've been sort of in on the content before it gets mm-hmm. to the actual filming. But like all of that kind of stuff, yeah, it's, it's just such an interesting thing because, well, our, our company is really well placed because we are sort of the main... Um, foreign eye on China mm. for China on Chinese social media. So, in terms of that, I mean, that's what we specialize in. All of our, all of our um, episodes of, or like all of our content revolves around the idea of cultural difference between China and the rest of the world mm-hmm. and the various different ways in which that is the various different ways in which that happens. Like, I mean, because there's so many entertaining ways. Like our first, our first main thing that we did was street interviews. And so we did, um, we would just take to the streets and interview foreigners in China about Chinese topics. So like, for example, the first, like what they think of Chinese New Year, you know, what weird mm. tradition they've had, have they ever experienced a traditional Chinese New Year? Like all of this kind of stuff. Um, like, because that's all. It's always it's always interesting to hear what other people think of you. I think, and then when it's put in a when it's put in an entertaining sort of fast paced thing, that makes that content very easy to mm-hmm. accept. Um, so, in terms of that, that's something that we've we've been doing for like be- since before I joined. Been doing for about two, maybe three years now, um, and then. Yeah, so I sort of I came into this company originally to help with their overseas product. So originally it was just to uh, create content about China for a foreign audience, um, and so that's what <clears throat> that's what I began with. And it was a really small team. Um, it was just like myself on uh, content and 
general direction. Then we had um, a colleague who worked, she worked with me on the content as well, and then also ran our social media. And Mm -hmm. then we had one camera woman who was also our editor. (laughs) And then we had someone to help with um, like the sort of business side of things as well. So it it was was only like five people. Yeah. So it was a really close knit team. And like, I mean, the most, the majority of what we did was done with the three of us. So it was like me, um, the other girl that we worked with on content and our camera woman. And it'd be the three of us who would go out and like, we'd write the scripts, then we'd uh, go film, then we'd edit and do everything like that. So we kept that up for about six months. Uh, oh, maybe about four, four, five months. We, we kept that up. Um, and then the what's called they restructured the company over Chinese New Year and then that was <clears throat> what's called we stopped doing content that was specifically designed for uh, overseas rather we would try and redesign the content that we already had to then make it suited to an overseas audience um, and then so from then on that's meant that I am now more involved with a lot more behind the scenes stuff for the Chinese uh, side of things which is really fun you get to do you get to do a lot of different things like I mean there's because there's all the brainstorming that goes on for all these awesome video ideas and everything like that. And it's just really fun to have these ideas and have them come up. Like you can see them blossom sort of before your, uh, before your face. And then as it, as it's coming into fruition, you can kind of be like, I have a feeling this is going to be so popular. Um, and that, and like, that's what it was with the with the Spider-Man video. Like oh, we, it, was, it was so cool, man. I remember I was watching this. I had just gotten back from filming. And mm-hmm. I like I, I think Brian, who was previously on, on this show as well, posted some photo of him and Tom Holland, Tom Holland. <laughs> I was a photo of him together and I, I immediately ran to your guys' social media page and was like, I knew you guys did something cool. And mm-hmm. For for those of you who haven't seen this video, you you did something really great with it, man. Because it wasn't a boring interview. Like mm-hmm. I, I knew you had a certain amount of time to interview this guy, and you were like, okay, how do we break them out of their shell? How do we get them to do something traditionally Chinese, and then still get to talk to them about all this stuff? And yeah. so talk to me about what 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 did you guys do? We were approached by Sony to say, "Hey, we want you to work on on, on this and do like some promotion for the movie." We're like, "Awesome! Of course, we're happy to help." And then, so then it goes into all the various planning stages and everything like that. And so you have to brainstorm a bunch of things that we can do. And originally, originally we had a little bit more of a long-winded itinerary, so we had something that we'd be filming for probably about three hours was our original plan um so they'd be like a you know like a rickshaw ride through the hutongs and then once that was done then they would see shadow puppets and then after shadow puppets it'd be essentially what the rest of what we ended up doing on the video mm-hmm. which uh for those of you who haven't seen it they i don't even know what it's called in english you guys did caramel sculptures is that the word for it i called it i called it toffee art toffee art yes it's basically there's um there's like a cold plate and then you have like hot toffee and then they basically um, draw characters out in it and then they lay a stick in it and then they mm. pick it up and then you have like a horse on a stick made of toffee. Podcasting mm. is famously, famously a visual medium. So yes. um, just just go watch the video. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, like it's the easiest way to see what happens. But it was mm. just... I don't know, like it was from like, I was really, whenever I go into these things, I'm always so nervous and I'm so worried because I'm just like, oh, like what if, 
there's just a million what ifs that happen. Mm -hmm. And then, especially since originally our plan for content was three hours, and then that got cut down to 40 minutes. And so we would pretty much, they would have to get in and Mm -hmm. sit down and film. And then from that 40 minutes, we would have to have a, like, I think we ended up with about nine minutes. So we, from 40 minutes, we would have to have a quarter of that as usable content, which mm-hmm. normally when you're filming is very, very high <laughs> amount of usable content. So in terms of that, like that in itself was really nerve wracking. And I was just like, you know, like we need to make sure that everything is perfect. Um, well, and also, then, you, you and I have talked a bit about um, imposter syndrome and how that plays into our art and like what we do. So I imagine that because you have only been doing this for about a year, a year today, and you've gone from uh, directing sort of man on the street style interviews to immediately working with like A list Hollywood celebrities. <laughs> So actual people that people know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause we feel like we filmed all of these talk shows and, you know, we put out a lot of good content, but at the mm. end of the day, it's still just like 10 friends hanging around, you know, talking shit to each other. Yeah. You- and it's, it's really far detached from mm. the end. Like you don't really see the influence that it has yeah. because you're in a studio. That's right. Mm hmm. So, um, how does how does that play into? Were you sort of rocking up to meet these guys and interview them, and and in the back of your head, you're like, what, what if they find out that I'm a fraud? <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I mean, there there was less about that that uh, that sort of comes through my head. Like, I don't really think anything like that. The thing I think of more is uh, what's called because, especially when you're dealing with celebrities, like obviously they have their Obviously, they have their you know PR teams. They have their managers. They have everyone who is who looks after them to make sure that they are always in the best possible light. And like mm-hmm. that's fair enough. Like that's just how the media works. Yeah. Um, but then because that's there, that means that there's a lot of stuff that is. Um, there's a lot of it takes a lot of fun sometimes out of creating this content because there's a lot of stuff that they're not willing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing. And then like, I mean, for example, one of the reasons that this video went viral was when Tom Holland got scared by this guy when he changed his face mask um, right next to him. And that was something that <clears throat> that was something that while we were running through the dress rehearsal, I was like, honestly, I think that just having it all sort of at a distance is not as engaging. And I feel like I was watching it and I was like, I'm bored. Mm-hmm. So I went up to the guy and I was like, hey, can you do it next to this, like right next to him? And he was like, yeah, of course. I was like, awesome, do that. And mm-hmm. then I went and told our cameraman. And so like, it was a case where we didn't actually run it by their team first. They didn't know that this was going to happen. Yeah. And so for example, when that was happening, I was just like, shit, like this could be a really, really big risk. And they end up flipping mm-hmm. their lid. And, and they're, they're just like, get him out of here. You guys are never going to work in this town again. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. if we didn't have any of that footage, then like, yeah, it wouldn't have been a fun time for me. Yeah. So I was thinking that. And then um, anyway, luckily, they were all... Because I, I that was the other thing as well. Like, I mean, I did talk to them when I got there, when they got there, and they seemed really nice. They just... I mean, they only want to make sure that he's safe, he's fine, and that he doesn't look ridiculous. So yeah. I feel like as long as that's the case, everything is everything is chill. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, so it was it was really good that it ended up working out the way it did. When it happened, I like mm-hmm. looked over at his PR and they were all filming on their phones and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, they loved it. 
they love them. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and to and be so fair, that works. works out really well for their client as well because yeah. Hollywood is trying incredibly hard to break into the the Chinese market, and yeah. um, you know. Like any other market in the world, it can be quite fickle for who the fans like and who they don't like. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if right. Jennifer Lawrence wasn't so incredibly relatable in the States, mm-hmm. her career would not be nearly what it is right now. And yeah. um, these sort of... No, exactly. I think it's all about trying to make them seem much more like people because I think mm-hmm. that that's something... <clears throat> and I think that that's something that ties back into what we were talking about before. I think it... A lot of the facts, a lot of the reason that people talk to us and communicate with us in the way that they do is because they don't see us as people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I'm making it a very big group by including us in the same group as people like Tom Holland and Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> but <laughs> you, you've worked with them. You've worked with them. I, mean, I, I it. through you by keeping through you. I think that's the thing. Like anyone who's in the public eye in that sense, you just sort of start to, they, their image starts to lose that sense of humanity. Mm-hmm. And then when that happens, that's when you start getting a lot of the, not great stuff that goes on. So it was really interesting to be able to work on the like behind the scenes part of that and see how it is that that is created. Mm-hmm. And it's not because it's not created is the wrong word as well because it's not like we're creating a fake persona for this person. Um, it's more that we are just it, it, like it's all about like it's the Chinese like Baldron. It's like packaging this person mm-hmm. to make them look in the best possible way and making sure that they're presented in the best way. Um, and yeah, I think that's something that we, we all deal with to a certain extent, whether it's like someone with 30 followers on Instagram choosing which photo of themselves they want to post mm-hmm. or, you know, it's someone like I just posted a Weibo before we did this call and, you know, writing it and editing it and writing it and editing it and writing it and editing it. Like it's all the same sort of idea, just making mm-hmm. sure that you get what you need. Um, yeah, out there in the best way. Yeah. Definitely. But you have a very, very interesting discovery story. What do you mean? Well, how I if I, if I remember this right, <laughs> how, they, how they found out that he was a liar. Now, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, if, I, if I remember right, um, the story goes, and this is going to be hilarious if it was a completely untrue rumor. Um, s- season two of Feijun Shihui Tan, or Informal Talks, yeah. was starting up. And someone came across you because they were looking for representatives from other countries. And someone found you working in an Apple store. You were an Apple genius. And Mm -hmm. you just happened to speak fluent Chinese. And then someone introduced you to production. And then you got on TV. Yes and no. Okay. Um, All right. (laughs) (laughs) Because before... I was working in a tire shop. Yeah, no, originally I had already actually been in contact with Hui Tan before season one. Mm. Um, but what happened, because I did Chinese Bridge, which is the, it's like a Chinese language competition where you just get up on a stage and sing and dance and act in Chinese and they pick someone who's good at it. And anyway, so I was in that in 2013. And then in 2014, um, I in September, I moved to Shanghai and I, stu- I studied there for a year. And you guys started filming, I think, March, April-ish of February. 2015? February, actually, because um, I, had, yeah. I, had, uh, I was the first birthday with them. We actually filmed on my birthday. Oh, mm-hmm. Cute. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, in January, 
right at the beginning of January, it was like the day after Chinese, the day after New Year or something. Mm-hmm. They were like, "Hey, we're doing interviews in Beijing. Um, what's it called? Like, come talk to us." And I was like, "Okay." So I bought the train ticket. Like, I did everything. Um, but then the night before was one of my friend's birthdays, and. So we we had a very quiet night planned, but that's not how it ended. Mm-hmm. And then I woke up as my train was supposed to be arriving in Beijing. And so I texted them and I was like, I can't make it. I'm sorry. sorry um, my, my stomach hurts. <laughs> yeah, I'm really uncomfortable. I'm in <laughs> Beijing, but like, no. <laughs> um, no, I didn't say that. But anyway, so then season one didn't happen because of that. And then anyway, I finished up at school, uh, school in... Um, in Shanghai, I went back to Australia and I did my last semester there. And then in my like, our semesters, there are 12 weeks. And in about week eight, I get another WeChat message from from the same producer being like, hey, we're starting up season two. We're interested if you want to come and join. And I was like, well, like I live in Australia now. And she's like, that's fine. We can fly you out. And I was like, okay. Then she was like, we need you to do an interview though. Can you be here next week? And I was like, <laughs> I've got classes. But then luckily by that stage, I'd already... Because I'd been to all of my classes anyway. So I had, I'd had met the attendance requirement already. Mm-hmm. So what happened was I had two days of class and like five days of work at that stage. So on the fifth day of work, I flew out to China that night and then got to China interviewed, then went back home that next day and then went straight to work from the airport. And it was just mm. like a ridiculous turnaround. And that was the that was the interview. And then after that, um, yeah, I ended up on the show. And that's just how it happened. Yeah, I but remember, like, I remember yeah. that. That <laughs> I remember that year very clearly. And it, it blew my mind because you were balancing you and Alec were both balancing work and you would literally fly out, spend your weekends filming with us and then immediately fly back and go back to work. Yeah. It's, um, that's mm-hmm. when you were working. I know the Apple store and Steve Jobs plays a part in this some, somewhere. You were working at Apple at this point? Was that... Uh, so yes, when I was in Australia, I was working at Apple. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it did. it did happen occasionally, actually, where someone would... Because it was it was very awkward because I would have to um it's cool because when you work at Apple you're not allowed to be photographed in your uniform anyway mm-hmm. um so it would just at least with the Apple uniform though it's like you just have to cover the logo and then it's chill so in all of my photos that I have with people from back in the day I'm just like holding my hand over my over my Apple in the middle of the, in the middle of my chest <laughs> um, so yeah I, I did I did actually get there was like one or two people who came in and recognized me from Hey Tar, from Chinese Bridge, which was very odd because that's not a show that has like, it's not a show that has like a faithful audience. Like it's more mm. something that you just have on in the background and everyone looks at it and they're like, oh, look at all these like foreigners speaking Chinese. Isn't that mm. nice? Like that kind of show. It's not the kind that you watch and you really get into. Yeah, yeah. And so I was just like, I was just really surprised that first of all, this person was in this like because I was in the outer suburbs of Melbourne was the other thing, like in the outer suburbs of Melbourne. She's Chinese. She has watched this like weird show, and she is in the Apple Store on the day that I'm like, what even? <laughs> that was very odd. Um, but yeah, I don't think I'm not sure. At least I didn't think that was part of the reason why I was contacted again. But I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. could be wrong. Yeah, because yeah, I, I thought would- it was. They were starting up again and then they were like, hey, who didn't we get last time? Mm-hmm. This person. 
Oh, okay. No, I have a, uh, I had an entirely different origin story in my head. Just someone wandered into the Apple store and you were there. <laughs> this is what it was in my head. Yeah. We're probably not going to be able to use any of this, but it's so funny. <laughs> I thought, I was like, man, this is the coolest story. And this is what I thought for the past four years that we've known each other. <laughs> you, you grew up in China, you learned really good Chinese, and then like you went back and you were sort of having your, oh, what am I going to do with my life? I'm not really sure. I'm just in uni right now. And in order to make money, you just happen to know a lot about like Apple, Apple products. And because there's a very large Chinese population in Melbourne, you ended up using your Chinese in the store. And then one of the producers walked in and was like, wow, this guy has amazing Chinese. He's so funny. He should absolutely come on the show. Yeah, I think that's a little bit far off from what actually happened. Just I swear to God, I thought you told me this. I maybe in like maybe in like a parallel universe, or maybe you just told me that to fuck with me and then just to just to bring it all all, all together. Uh, yeah, I just I just tell a di- like I tell different people different versions of the same mm. story. It's just the way that I make sure that no one really knows me. Yeah, keep keep a good air of mystery about you. Exactly, exactly. It makes it more fun. (laughs) And thank you so much for coming on this show. I was very excited not just to have you on this show and share your story with the people, but honestly to just catch up because it has been a while. We get very busy. And I just appreciated hanging out with you, man. Oh, well, thank you. It's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah, anytime. And I'll be in Beijing um, at the end of next month. So we can definitely kick it then if you're in town. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll have to check with my my schedule and my secretary, but you know, we'll see what we can do. I'll see if I can give you a fifteen minute section. <laughs> you 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 interview two men in black, and then all of a sudden, yeah. your whole life changes. I understand. I know. I know. <laughs> all, <okay. laughs> all right, man. Well, I think that this is a good spot to wrap this up and bring it to one of my favorite segments. Uh, what did we learn? Uh, I learned a whole bunch today, man. I learned that uh, you can't trust your friend's origin story until you actually sit down and ask them. Otherwise, you're going to believe that they got discovered working in an Apple store. Um, <laughs> I also learned a lot, a lot, a lot about um, body image and how that, how social media plays a big role in that. And how best to articulate this with a fan base. And really, I learned not to feed the trolls. Mm. But um, once again, like with all of these podcasts, I learned that starting a podcast is a very, very good way to get to know new friends and to get to know old friends better. Yeah. So yeah. Good. Alistair, do you have any <laughs> advice, words of wisdom for the people at home? Oh, I don't know. I've, I reckon the most important thing that anyone can really do is you just, you do you, I think is crucial. Just you do you. You be happy, you live your life, and everyone else will deal with that in their own way, and that's their own thing. But you do you. I think that's it. There we go. I like that. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening, and I will chat next week. And in the meantime, you do you. Mm-hmm.